Sometimes Monday morning comes and I walk into Austin's office and I berate him. Because just when I'm trying to really focus in on what it is I've spent my week preparing to say, he goes and leads me in worship. And then I um, lose my focus because I, I go through steps of of repentance and, and assurance from God through the music, and I, I lose my focus and what I feel like is my momentum going in, and it's all his fault, and, and he's a big jerk. So with, with that in mind, uh, please, please bow your hearts and, and let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you would love us, that you would rescue us, that you would redeem us, that you would continue to love us and continue to forgive us. As the old hymn that we sang a few minutes ago said, that there, you've never left me, though I have oft left thee. Lord, you abide in us, and it is your pleasure to abide in us. And that's a mystery to me some days. That you would desire me or any of us. That you love us that much. That your love is patient and your love is kind and your love doesn't keep record of wrongs. And your love does not treat us as we deserve. Lord, we praise you for that and we thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would forgive me for the times when I view abiding in you as a bit of a chore instead of as a good pleasure. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow and that we would, as, as we're getting ready to talk about this morning, that we would experience the fruit of abiding, the product of abiding, and all that you have to give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm about a month away from one of my two least favorite days of the year. And that's when I go to the dentist. I... And I'm not overstating this. I, I, I really j- just don't like the dentist. I, people's hands should not be in my mouth. Okay? Like, I, I don't like having someone else's, someone I barely know, they just stick their hands right in there. And every time I'm laying in the chair and someone is cleaning my teeth for me, I think this is why science thinks we come from apes. Like, this is the strongest argument we have is dental work, like that, that we go to have another person clean our teeth for us. I'm like, this is an, are you going to check my hair next? Like, it's just, I hate it. I, I don't like having someone else's hands in my mouth, and I don't like the lecture. You're really good at brushing, but your flossing could use some work. Do you want us to teach? I'm, I'm 38 years old. I don't want you to teach me how to floss. I, 
I don't like it. But the lecture, like, I, I get it, okay? Like, flossing's super important, but it's also mundane. It's forgettable, and it's having my hands in my mouth, and I don't like that either. And here's my concern, and you guys, like, this is, you're going to think I'm weird here. My concern is that we treat abiding in God like we treat flossing. It's mundane, it's forgettable, and, and sure, there's an importance to it, but it's not particularly fun. And we, I think we've substituted oftentimes a lesser version of abiding in God than what Scripture talks about. And, and let's be honest, there's, there's times where even if you're, you have like the gold star of abiding in God with your daily devotions, with your prayer life, there's times that it feels dry. And you push through those times. But we need to be careful to not think of abiding with God as mundane. It's supernatural. We are communing with the Creator of the universe who loves us so much that in spite of all that you did last week, last night, this morning that's been sinful, all you've done and thought, He says, come abide with Me. He loves you that much. And that when we pray, our prayers reach His throne room, they reach His ears, it makes a difference in the life before us. And this is amazing. This is supernatural. And it is crucially important. And, and I worry, I worry this for myself, I worry this for us as a congregation, that we read John 15, you can do nothing, I am the vine, you are the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide with me, you will bear much fruit. And I worry that too many times my definition of bearing much fruit is ministry success. That there's that means people coming to Christ. That means people coming to church. That means, that means just stuff growing. And that's what we think of it as. It's what I am at risk of only thinking of, of it as. But there's more, you know, flossing gives you more than a smile. It really helps your health. And abiding in God gives you much, much more than ministry success. It improves your spiritual health in ways that would benefit us to recognize. And John, I think, is taking us there. And he's saying, you need to abide in Christ and you need to abide with God and commune with Him for, your, for the sake of yourself, for your own spiritual well-being. And we need to work hard to remove the idea that abiding with God can be mundane or forgettable or not particularly fun and to keep in mind and not take for granted that we who are sinful both by nature and by choice have the ability, the open invitation, and the privilege, even the right as children of God to commune with God. That through the saving work of the whole Trinity, we can be with God while we are here on earth. And that's amazing. 
And this morning, what I want us to see is that communing with God in Christ produces fruit that is more than evangelistic. The fruit of abiding, it also does a couple things for us. It affirms our status to us. Let's read in 1 John 2. We're only looking at two verses this morning, 28 and 29. I'm going to read both of them. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. John starts out, abide in Him. John loves the word and concept of abide, abiding, abides. He uses some variation of the word abide 22 times in this letter alone. And 11 of them are in chapter 2. This is a big deal for John, and he sees it crucial for the life of believers. This, is, this marks us as believers, that we abide in God, but not only that, but that He abides in us. He says in 2.6 that when we abide, we walk as Jesus walked. In 2.24, he talks about the Word of God and the truth of God abiding in us. He talks a lot about the imp- impact that abiding has on our human relationships that we love, that we don't hate. It talks about the impacts of abiding on our sin. It talks a lot about a God abiding in us. But here's the direct instruction, which, which holds a little uniqueness. It's not if you abide in God, if God abides in you, if His truth abides in you, if His Word abides in you. It is abide in in him. Little children abide in him. And to abide is this is to remain, to continue it. The, the verb implies with even in the midst of pressure, we don't leave him. Like we do everything we can to be with him. This is not the idea of occasionally spending time with the Lord like you would with a distant relative, like some obscure third cousin that you know, that you just occasionally talk to. This is regular interaction. Abiding can be a mixture of quick and lengthy prayer. But I, as we look at all the uses of abiding in John, it's important for us to realize that this is two ways. And one of those two ways is always open. God abides in you. His truth abides in you. His word abides in you. God is always there. Sometimes we try and hit the mute button. Sometimes we try to ignore His presence. Sometimes we just become apathetic to it. But He is always there. God abides in you. Abide in God. This is, a, this is two ways and, and part of, a, of abiding is where we get the idea of having daily devotions, this regular interaction. But I really hope for you, and I hope for me too, that, that our abiding is not limited to five minutes in the morning or five minutes in the evening. I hope, one, that it grows beyond five minutes. 
I hope that we get used to spending lengthy chunks of time with God in prayer, with God in the Word, in communion with God, with other believers, that we get used to that, that we would not just binge on Netflix, but we would binge on the Psalms. That we would binge on His Word. That we would binge ourselves with prayer. Abiding can be quick prayers. Sometimes we need to have a mini spiritual retreat where work is stressful, family is stressful, there's a big decision coming up that's looming that we don't know what to do about, and so we withdraw ourselves for a mini retreat. And sometimes a mini retreat can be five minutes, sometimes it can be an hour, but there's also a benefit to a lengthy retreat. There's a benefit I've found in going camping by myself occasionally. Spending 24 hours alone in the woods. Hidden Acres would love to rent you a room for a night where you could go and be alone with the Lord. If you need time over your lunch hour to just sit in silence, we'll gladly open the doors to this room so you can just sit with the Lord over your lunch hour. Maybe you go for a walk. Find those many times, but also try to schedule in a longer time where you say, I'm just going to go meet with the Lord. Maybe it will, for you, involve incorporating fasting. Where you say, I'm just going to take my lunch hour every day this week. And I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to go be with the Lord for that time. Or fasting from social media. Or fasting from screen time. Find times to abide, but make sure the focus of your abiding is the Lord Himself, that we abide in Him. This isn't just go abide, go be, go remain somewhere, go continue somewhere. This is abide with God. Make Him the focus of it. The idea is to be as close to God as we can. It's not to get more me time. His word and His prayer and worship to Him are primary in our abiding. Reading authors that are helpful uh, can be good, but nothing replaces the living Word of God. Conversations about God with godly people are helpful, but nothing comes close to the value of prayer, whether it's a quick prayer or a long prayer. Nothing can beat that. And if you are going to read authors, make sure that the, the subject of their book is, is pointing you to God, to His work, to His character and nature, and not just some sort of Christianized self-help book that makes you the hero or improving yourself as the point. But commune with God. He says, abide with Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from Him in shame at His coming. When we abide with Christ, we develop a confident closeness with Him that, that can only be built through time spent. I really hope that our time with God as we grow does not resemble an awkward first date where we don't really know what to talk about we don't really know what they think of us. 
But I hope as we grow as believers that our time with God resembles more of a lifelong friendship where we can jump right into the conversation. We can cut to the quick and go right to the deep stuff. We can have the enjoyment. We can have the joy. But when necessary, we can go right to the deep stuff. This, as we abide more and more, it makes for better and longer abiding with Him. It makes for better and longer Bible reading and prayer and worship. But it also does something else. It builds trust in His promises. That as we walk with Him, as we abide, we build trust that when we confess our sin, He forgives us and cleanses us. So that we don't have this shame. So that we're not in dread of our time with God. Oh, I, I need to go abide with God. I need to pray. But, and every time I pray, He just brings up the bad stuff. And I don't want to deal with that. Well, maybe God wants you to deal with that so you can get to the real heart of abiding. Maybe God wants you to deal with that so you're ready to hear something bigger. Maybe that's withholding you from experiencing the true joy that He has for you. So we build our trust in His forgiveness, and we also build our confidence in eternity and His return. So that the idea of Christ coming back is not terrifying, but joyful. Because we know who He is. We know that when He says, I'm going to return, He is. It's not in our time. But we can grow in that confidence because we've spent time in His Word. We've seen His promises come true in other areas of our lives. We've felt the assurance of His forgiveness. I think it's really interesting in this verse. There's nothing of asking God that He would abide in us. God doesn't need reminded to abide in us. And He also doesn't need reminded as we look at eternity and His return and we grow in that confidence. God never needs reminded that He saved us. There's not going to come a day where it's like, oh man, have I saved Steve? Oh, this has been a busy week. Did I save him? Is he secure? Oh, I hope so. Ooh. I better remind him of some bad stuff to get him to repent, just in case. No, he never, God never forgets that he saved you, but sometimes we forget that we've been saved. God never forgets that your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west, but sometimes we forget. And we walk around in defeat and regret when we could be walking in the joy and freedom of His forgiveness as children of God who are co-heirs with Christ. God never forgets that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that judgment for day for you is going to be one of the best days of your life because it's going to be the day that you enter His kingdom forever. But sometimes we forget that. And when I forget that the most, and I know I'm unique, we're all different. When I forget that the most is the times where my prayer life has been at its lowest and my reading of His Word has been at its lowest. 
And when I read and when I pray, it's not that I never forget that, but it's easier to remember the truth in the midst of those moments. Here abiding, the, the fruit of abiding is that we, as we grow in the Lord, we have confidence in His presence and in His coming that we can look forward to that. And it is an inward fruit that happens. He also says in verse 29, if you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Abiding affirms our status to us. God already knows our status, but reminds our status to us and it reveals God's work in our lives, and you could write next to that, and in the lives of others. Have you ever noticed that when you spend time with people, you just pick up on their mannerisms, you pick up on their sense of humor, you pick up on their way of seeing things, and you kind of rub off on each other? As we abide with the Lord, He rubs off on us. He changes us to be like Him. And John communicates this primarily through one attribute of God. I mean, he could, he could have listed a whole, a whole bunch of attributes of God, but he, he boils it down to one central one, that the righteousness, and we know that He is righteous, that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Our culture has a whole lot of brands of kindness and love. There's, there's one righteousness. That comes from God. That He is the holy God. That is, His character will change us. And here John, as he points to righteousness, there's a lot of applications to righteousness. That we would have love that's motivated and influenced by the righteousness of God. Humility, affections, compassion, justice, and more. God is righteous and those who have been born again, who have His Spirit abiding in them, righteousness is part of the fruit that comes out. And it is important to see the difference between being righteous and practicing righteous. Because here he says God is righteous. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. And here's why I say it's important to note that. Christian hypocrisy is one of everyone's favorite things to throw out. It's one of their top excuses. I don't go to church. It's filled with hypocrites. And some of the time when they say that, I just want to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, I haven't found anything to disagree with you on. But I do want to ask, what do you mean by hypocrisy? Because I think a lot of times what people mean by hypocrisy is the difference between God being fully righteous and us practicing righteousness that we are not fully righteous yet. We are practicing it. We are growing in it. But we're not there. We won't be until the day Christ is revealed. God is righteous. And we are becoming righteous. We are practicing righteousness. We are not fully there. But our righteousness, if we have it, is evidence that God is abiding in us because we've been born again. And so it reveals God's work in our lives, but the emphasis of this verse is looking at others. 
that we would see it in other people's lives. So he's saying, you abide in Christ. It lets you know your affiliation with God, your status, so you can have confidence. And as others are abiding and you see their righteousness, you see their status with God. This should unite us. The righteousness of God's people should unite us. And so I hope we will let the righteousness of God unite us. And maybe we need to evaluate the fences that we build. Because there's a lot of fences that we have up, and some of them are good fences, and some of them aren't. And maybe we need to tear down some of our fences Because they don't allow righteous people in. Among the younger generations in the church, a good thing is happening. Where the sanctity of life that used to be only confined to the unborn is being extended to the sanctity of all human life those who are unborn and those who are born, and having a great emphasis on the fact that there's a lot of poor people in the world who are not treated as though their lives are holy and they've been made in God's likeness. And sometimes it's because of the country they're in, sometimes it's because of the color of their skin. Sometimes it's something else altogether. And the younger generations of the church right now are seeing this and they're acting in it and they're calling it good. The problem is when we let our politics decide our fences and not the righteousness of God and we get worried that maybe they're in a different political camp instead of saying they have a really righteous desire that all people should be loved And all people are created equal. And all people are made in God's likeness. And I I just want to join them in that. And let's let the righteousness of God that's in them and in us unite us. And not let the things of this world come between us. That we would look at them and say, there is righteousness. And they have been born of God. Or that we would look at people who have a slightly different theology than us. This is the other fence we build up. We build up theological fences. We say, well, if you don't mark all the boxes that I mark, then I don't know that we can be friends. Instead saying, you know what, you've been saved. You read scripture differently than I do. You uphold the the Trinity. You uphold the word of God. You uphold the uniqueness of Jesus. You practice righteousness in your life. We have a lot more in common than we do different. So let's take apart those fences and let's embrace the unity we have as brothers and sisters in Christ and not let our favorite theologians being different get in our way. And let's walk with God together. And let's treat other righteous people with brotherly affection. Both of these are fruit from abiding that we would see our status before God and we would see the status of other people before God. And I feel like, I mean, we've we've covered the word abiding several times. We're going to cover it several more times. 
I feel like I just go through the same list of application, how to abide, over and over again. Read your Bible, find a right reading plan, find a prayer partner, go to church, go to ABF. And it's the same thing over and over again. And so I want to do something different this morning. I want, I'm going to invite a friend of mine up here. Uh, we're going to meet right down here. Sharon McGraw, who's a friend of mine. She's a little bit of a hero of mine as far as what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And uh, I asked her this week, I said, Sharon, could I interview you with part of the sermon? And Sharon said, well, Chuck, if you really need help with your sermon this week, I guess I can help you with your sermon. And, and I really need help with my sermon. And so I have a few questions for Sharon. Um, Sharon, first of all, I want to know, who, how was abiding with God modeled for you? Well, first of all, I was very, very blessed to have been raised and uh, born into and raised in a godly family. I might, I, I'm so, so pleased and so thankful that that happened. Um, my father worked at this 3 to 11 shift at the post office, and so we didn't get, really you didn't get to see him hardly at all, except on Sunday. We, of course, were always in church. He sat and read his Bible on Sunday afternoon, the entire afternoon. And so that's my recollection of him. But unfortunately, when I was nine, he passed away. And so um, my mother was the person who had faith beyond faith. And anybody who knew her knew that. And she had a wonderful prayer life. She prayed about everything. And as a young child, I thought that God answered absolutely every prayer, it seemed to me. If somebody was sick, we prayed, and they were healed. And if somebody needed something, we prayed, and it arrived. I always thought, I told, I told Pastor Chuck once, it took me a long time to realize that God gave us doctors to help us too, because we just had never gone, we never went to doctors, we just prayed. I sometimes think our affluence has taken away our faith hmm. in many ways. Um, she was truly a woman of God. Somebody said to my brother, she's an angel, and he said, no, she's godly. So on her deathbed, on Saturday, she was on a Saturday afternoon, she said, now I'm going home tonight. And we believed her. And so my sister and, and niece and I sat in the room, and later on she said, um, you know, I think the angels can't come for me. Can you please leave? So we did. And then about 3 o'clock, she wanted my brother to be called and um, said, you know, Paul, why have I not gone to heaven? And he told her, God is still in control hmm. when he's time. So then later on, the nurse came, and she said, what church does she go to? And I told her, and she said, she's in there waving her arms around and praying like crazy. <laughs> that was my mom. She just always prayed. I knew that, that she had the faith. And when she passed away, we lost a huge prayer warrior. And many of you in this room, she had prayed for as well. Um, she was here until she was 91, and God gave her, uh, I think, a, a marvelous home going. And when she found out that she had colon cancer, she asked some in the church to come and pray and anoint her with oil. And I truly believe that God granted her freedom of pain during that whole time that she was ill. Hmm. So that was my role model. All right. And then can you tell us, what, how do you abide with God? What are your practices in abiding? Well, I kind of have a routine each, each day. And in the mornings, I start out with uh, a devotional. This month, and I'm doing just the uh, daily bread. But I really like the um, book that Nancy Strittmeyer introduced me to, The 31 Days 
of encouragement as we grow older. And one of the reasons I liked it is not only is it encouraging, but it has so much scripture that it refers to. Mm. And when she has something, she was 80 years old when she wrote this book, and it's a wonderful daily, 31 days, and it, it is an encouragement. And then um, I just, I use different, you know, different ones, I kind of switch around. I always read at least one chapter. Right now I'm reading in Psalms, and I really find that comforting as well. Um, and then in one of the electives, in probably three or four years ago, we took um, the Clark's class of uh, John Eldridge Moving Mountains. Mm -hmm. And he has a prayer in the back of that book that I pray each day. It's about seven pages long, and it, it also includes family, but it's an encouraging prayer. It praises God. It lets him know that we know who he is and how we're thankful that he abides in our hearts. Mm. And uh, how has a... I think you had included something about... Uh... Oh, I, my, my little prayer check. My, I have a little two-by-three uh, slips of paper, and I've written all the family names on there. I pray for them. Um, I do this at night because that's a longer prayer time. And then uh, for, pe for people who have asked me to pray for them, I take it seriously. I think if we commit to pray for someone, God expects us to pray for them. And so I have all of our family there, and I have some friends, and I have people who have asked me to specifically pray. And when a prayer is answered, I can take that sheet out, and then I have room for somebody else to pray for somebody else. I really find it comforting to me to know that I can pray for someone. And the more comforting thing is to know how many of you have come and said that you're, you're praying for us. I get a note in the, in the mail. It says, you know, just want you to know we're praying for you. These are young couples, older couples. We are so blessed to have a church family that's praying for mm -hmm. us. Amen. Amen. How has abiding in God changed you, Sharon? I, I think as we let him abide in us, it truly, it, it, it's, um, I think I'm more disciplined in my Bible reading, in my devotional time, in my praying time. I think it really it makes a, a big difference. And then I can tell him that I honestly love him, I honor him, I praise him, and I trust him for every area of my life. Hmm. Hmm. What, what encouragement do you have for us as a church as we try to grow in the Lord? Well, I was looking some, up some things uh, the other day, and, and I just thought, you know, in Matthew, it tells us to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, well, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It makes it pretty clear that that's exactly what we are to do. And then um, I have, I've think so many times, and I've used it as a devotional. People have heard it before. Um, pastor Dave in 2012, see, we do listen to the pastors. Um, he gave a three-point sermon, and I, I pray that every day. Invite God into everything. Trust God's timing, be shamelessly persistent, and be convinced that God's answers are always best. Hmm. And then I was going to say, you know, I was going to talk, to, I told you about that great hymn title, and it had five verses on Abide With Me, and I thought, well, they'd never sing all, they, they don't want to hear all that. We sang them this yeah. <laughs> But the one that was especially, I don't think it was the same tune, though, that I, I grew up with. Um, that happens sometimes. It does. Um, but um, the, the one, the verse that I really liked was, I need thy presence every passing hour. What by thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who, like thyself, my guide and stay can be, through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. Mm, amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you for your visits and for your comfort and encouragement you are to us at the Care Center. Wow.
few years ago, house next to us went up for sale and sold. And um, these guys bought it and they completely trashed it. And they were evicted because they paid one mortgage payment in about two and a half years, which apparently is not enough. <laughs> and it, it went up for auction and uh, it got bought. And after sitting empty for about a year, and then these guys started showing up. And they'd have table saws and they'd have paint and they'd, they'd go inside and they'd, and the whole house inside and out was just a disaster. And they'd go in and they'd come out at the end of the day and then they'd tear something out and they'd replace it. There was carpet, but the hole in the window wasn't fixed. And then paint would go in, but the hole in the stained glass window wasn't fixed. And there was stained glass windows up in the gables and one had a hole through it. And I don't know how many bats probably lived in that house. And, and they'd, they'd go in with appliances, but the hole wasn't fixed. And then one day the hole was boarded up and then they'd go in with more carpet. It, the board was there and they'd go in with other tools and other paint and curtains. And eventually that window got replaced. And eventually they weeded the, and mowed and tore down vines and painted the outside. But it was months of work inside the house before any of the neighbors, and we were all watching, <laughs> before any of the neighbors saw anything. Sometimes I worry, or, or when I'm honest, I recognize that the condition of my heart can get to be like the condition of that house. And when I abide with Christ, there's a lot of work that happens inside that has to happen inside. And then it's seen on the outside. And that is the same for us. You abide in Christ and you let Him do that work inside. And some of that work is going to be hard. Some of that work is going to require repentance. But a lot of that work is going to be helping you trust your Savior so that you don't have to have shame at the thought of His returning. And then that work is going to result in your righteousness and other people are going to see that. And it's going to show the world who your God is and it's going to show your, the church that He abides in you. And isn't that great that God would abide in us? Thank you so much, Sharon, for your words on how we can abide in Him knowing that He abides in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us so much. We thank You that You not only invite us to and give us the right to, but You call us to abide in You because You know how much we need it. Lord, I pray that You would do the work in our heart that we need. Lord, I pray that You would help us to see Your great love for us, that You would help us to see at Your return that we can have confidence because Your promises are true. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.